Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we've got a couple more weeks on this series, but uh, today we're going to look at Hebrews 12. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we say this every Sunday. We have those in the seat rack, hopefully nearby you. And uh, you can pull one of those black Bibles out. It's on page 844 if you want to use one of those. So we're going to look at Hebrews 12 today. We're in this series called The Supremacy of Jesus, which is a study in the letter to the Hebrews. And I want to ask you a question. What are your expectations for following Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, what did you sign up for? This is a really important question. And the reason I ask is because in the United States, We've never been more committed to having a life that would be hardship-free if we can sign up for it. It's really easy, if we're not careful, to pay attention to all the benefits of following Jesus and not talk about the cost. But you know, don't you, that Jesus never did that. Jesus always was honest about the cost. Last year, in the study of the Gospel of John, we saw that he actually said, in this world... If you decide to follow me, you will be hated. There will some, be some people that just like they hate me, they'll hate you because you follow me. And he wasn't trying to make martyrs of us. He was just saying, you need to know what you're signing up for. What are you signing up for when you follow me? And he gives an incredible invitation to follow him, but he also gives an incredible challenge. Uh, you know, back in that series, I actually read these questions I don't know if you've ever heard them before, but here's in Asia, because of the persecution, here's what they ask people before they follow Jesus. One, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your parents? Two, are you willing to lose your job? Three, are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you, forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than to deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? And if people came to the place where they could answer yes to all those questions, then they were asked to sign their name. The only problem was is if that was discovered by the government, they would be put behind bars for three years, and those who invited them to do this would be put behind bars for six. I'll tell you what. They didn't enter following Christ with any naivete. They, they knew what the expectations you know, were realistic. And I ask you that because sometimes I realize that Jesus is asking us that question. What are your expectations of following me? So if you're following along the notes, here they are. What are my expectations for following Jesus? What are they? Now we've been telling you the whole time that we've been studying Hebrews is that this is being written to people that have become so beaten down as followers of Jesus through the suffering and conflicts and the hardships that they've gone through, that they're actually beginning to second guess whether or not it's a good idea to keep following Jesus. You can understand that, can't you? Now, one author says this, some of their lifelong friendships cooled to estrangement. They were no longer welcome in the synagogue. Some lost their jobs as they were squeezed out of the family business. Others were assaulted by domestic stress as even husband and wife relationships became strained over the matter of Christ 
And to top it off, their newfound faith did not shield them from the common vicissitudes of life. They suffered reversals, accidents, illness, and death, just like everyone else. Wow! What are your expectations for following Jesus? What are mine? And now I, I know that some people will go like, well, this is a real happy way to start the message. But honestly, friends, I think C.S. Lewis is right. He says, if you think of this world as a place intended for our happiness, you find it quite intolerable. Think of the world as a place of training and correction, and it's not so bad. And all that has to do with our expectations. So last week, Steve helped us see that Hebrews 11 showed us a whole group of people, some that experienced triumph and others that experienced tragedy, but all who learned how to trust God no matter what they were going through. This week, in chapter 12, it's our turn. And what I want you to see is that this is probably the crux of the letter. This is where it all comes together. This is where the writer says, this is ultimately why I'm writing this letter to you. It's your turn. And what are you going to do in this situation? Because I want to help you, and I want you to know that I need this too, and I want to share it as I've been inspired by the Holy Spirit to share it with you. So we're going to look at this today. And I just need to tell you, the verses we're going to look at, these opening verses, came to mean a lot to me in high school when I first came to start following Jesus. Some of you know, high school is not exactly a place to live for Christ. Sometimes easily is it. But I remember these verses just encouraged me. And they have encouraged people down through the centuries, friends. And I pray they encourage you. I know that some of you are going through things that I have never gone through. Some of you, like the people in chapter 11, have experienced triumph, while others of you have experienced unimaginable tragedy. But here's the good news. Each of us are called to trust Christ, and he will help us with whatever we have to face. So if you're following along, Hebrews 12 teaches us how to keep going and think in hard times. It teaches us how to keep going and how to think when we're going through hard times. And so I want to talk today about running with perseverance. I want to talk to you about how we can run with perseverance because Jesus is supreme and he can do something that no one else can do in our lives if we will trust him. So I want to ask if you'd pray with me and then we'll jump in. Now, Lord, I thank you so much that we live in a country where we can learn your ways and where there is a freedom to gather and we pray for our brothers and sisters who are under it this morning. And we pray that we would take inspiration and encouragement from them, but that we would also pray for them, knowing that that could be us one day. So we ask, Lord, that you'll help us to make sure that we have realistic expectations about following you and that we realize what a privilege it is. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. I've listed it there in that first grade box so we can all read off the same translation. So would you join me full voice? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let me finish what it says. Who for the joy set before him, 
he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You notice that phrase? You may even want to circle it there. Run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. What does perseverance mean? When you think of the word perseverance, what goes through your mind? You know, the idea is, is that it means to continue doing something even when it's difficult. And the definition that I've put here for persevere, if you're following along, is to move forward with no quit resolve. To move forward with no quit resolve. Let me explain that. Sometimes the word for perseverance can also be uh, just uh, interchanged with the word endurance. But in the United States, in our English language, when we use the word endure, we mean that sometimes you just grit your teeth and you passively let it happen to you. But the word persevere does not mean that at all. The word persevere, even the word endure, the way it's used in the New Testament, means that you keep going even when it's difficult. That you learn how to keep moving forward. It may just be one step at a time, but you learn how to keep going in the same direction that you started with a no-quit resolve, saying, you know what? Quitting is not an option. It's attractive, but it's not an option. I am not going to quit what I started. And what this reminds us, friends, is this. It's more important to finish than to begin with Jesus. Many times Jesus would challenge people out front in a way that seems so harsh and so extreme, but he knew this, that if you start and never finish, you might as well have never started. And you and I need to know that it's not so important that we begin as Christians as much as we continue, that we keep learning to trust Christ no matter what comes our way. And this is daunting. And Paul used the idea that I press on toward the goal. That idea is I give myself to that and I am not going to quit even though it may be tempting, even though I may be so weak sometimes, even though it may be screaming in my head, I am going to keep going. I'm going to persevere. Some of you know what it's like to persevere in a job or a marriage or a friendship or a relationship or a difficult task and you know how important it is, how much it reveals our character when we persevere. And that's what Christ is up to. He is building character, not just images of Christians. And so the next thing I want you to see is that it says in this phrase that if you and I want to run with perseverance, there's really four things that are mentioned that I see in these verses, including these verses we just read and the ones that we're going to read in the rest of the chapter. So the first thing that he says there, you'll see it in this verse, is let us throw off. And now, if you're following along, the idea is to throw off, to part with all that hinders and entangles. Now, here's the picture. When he says race, he's picturing a contest. He's picturing an, a stadium. And the word for race means, uh, in, in the Greek, is agon, which we get agony from. And the idea is, is that when a person is in a race, it can mean a contest, but it always usually tends to involve some kind of agonizing or difficult struggle. So he's saying, look, you're in a race. And if you're going to run a race, you need to know that first of all, historically, you are surrounded by other people that have already run this race. You are not doing this alone. That's why the therefore is therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by all these people I just talked about in chapter 11, 
and what they learned, they witnessed to us that it is possible to run this race with God and keep trusting him and not quit. Therefore, since we know about them, let us, now that it's our turn, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, the word for everything there is the word weight. Some of you know that a lot of times uh, in those days they would train with weights or they would uh, wear heavier things so that then when they took off those things, they could run more freely. Some of you know in baseball, if you ever have seen someone at the batter's circle waiting on deck, what do they do? They put this donut, this weight around the bat and they swing it like that. But the batter would never think of taking that bat up to the plate and swinging with that on. It's too heavy. But he does that just to get used so that he can swing the bat even faster. And that's what they would do. They would train with weights. But now he says, now that it's time for the race, throw off everything that's going to weigh you down. And also, the sin that so easily is going to trip you up. Be willing to part with that stuff. To part with all that hinders and entangles. Some of you may wonder, like, what are these things? What are these things that we need to be conscious of? And I like how um, the Life Application Bible says it. Choose friends who are also committed to the race. Wrong friends will have values and activities that may deter you from the course. Much of your own weight may result from the crowd you run with. Make wise choices. Next, drop certain activities. This is, that is, for you, at this time, these may be a weight. Try dropping them for a while, then check the results. If TV consumes precious time, try doing without it. If shopping is your stress relaxer, try something else. Get help for addictions that disable you. If you have a secret weight such as pornography, gambling, or alcohol, admit your need and get help today, but be willing to part with it. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to go into hell with your whole body. He's basically saying in drastic language, look, be willing to make a clean break with whatever is getting in your way from running a good race with Christ. Man, this is a powerful word. I don't know about you, but when I think about this, I always go, tomorrow, later. I don't think it's that bad, but what the Lord has been showing me even this week is, Jeff, there are some things that are weighing you down and giving it more difficult for you to run this race with me. Are you willing to part with them in order to run? The race that's marked out for you. And I don't know what it might be for you, but this week the Lord got laser clear with me on one of the things that I need to part with, at least in this chapter of my life and probably for the rest of my life, in order that I can run more freely. So the second thing, if you're following along, is that notice what he says here, is he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're following along, the idea is to fix or focus your thoughts and affection on Jesus. Have you noticed that in order for a runner to really run in the Olympics, they better be focused. They better not be thinking about a lot of different things. They better really be prepared and they better be single-minded. And in the same way, we are taught a lot of times that you can have any old version of Christianity you want, that you can follow Jesus and you can follow these things too, and syncretism is huge today. Oh, I like some of Jesus, I like some of this, but what it's saying is, look, decide to focus on Jesus in this situation. 
Fix your attention, fix your focus, fix your uh, heart, your affection, your thoughts. And I just want to ask you, when you're miles from this church building, do you think of Jesus? Do you think of him? Is he the focus of your life, or is he an add-on? It's so easy, isn't it, for to fall into that? But the Christian life is about Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus. And therefore, he says, look, if you want to live life correctly, you've got to focus on Jesus. Some people go, well, I can't do that with all my jobs. Sure you can. I've taught you guys many times that you can whistle while you work. You can do lots of things at the same time. You can focus on Jesus, and he can show you how to do your work. You can focus on Jesus, and he can show you how to do your school homework. You can focus on Jesus, but are you fixing your eyes? Am I? That's the thing that he wants us to see. You know, I love this verse. In 2 Chronicles 20, it says this. uh, King Jehoshaphat, they were being uh, approached by many armies, and so he gathered all the people together, and he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes, our attention, our focus is on you. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. And that's what he says. When you're going through hard stuff, where's your focus? Is your focus on the hard stuff? Is your focus on yourself? Is your focus on something else? This is a powerful verse. Do you notice what he's saying is? You're never going to run the race. You're never going to make it in life if you stay focused on yourself. The way you become a larger person is to look beyond yourself. Focus on something bigger than you. Focus on something bigger than your problem, your hardship. That's what he's saying. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And notice the next thing that he says, and let's read uh, the second uh, gray box there. We have verse 3, and I'll tell you what number 3 is after we read that. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. If you're following along, consider often how he, Jesus, faced hostility and opposition. You know, one of the things that we do, we just did with Good Friday, Holy Week, is we took time to think about what Jesus went through in his passion. With his arrest and beatings and his crucifixion, we spent time thinking about that. And what this verse is saying is, don't just do that during Holy Week. Do that often. Consider Jesus. When you're going through something, remember Jesus. Remember that he had a more difficult race than you. And he did it for you. And he understands. And he can help you through it. Not necessarily to escape from it. Uh, What would be some of those examples? Let me just show you one passage in Luke 23. This is powerful. This is just six, seven verses. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This guy's in an unbelievable physical pain. And he's being mocked by everyone standing around the cross. I don't know about you, but to be misunderstood, to be spoken to cruelly is difficult sledding for me. And Jesus not only endured it, he forgave in the middle of it. Wow! I want to follow someone like that. I want to know someone like that. Unbelievable. The fourth thing that you'll see is that in this last section of the chapter, or this part of the chapter we're going to read, is don't forget God's discipline. Don't forget God's discipline is training for our good. It's training for our good. Let me read verses 4 through 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's just another way of saying you haven't died for following Christ yet. Sometimes people will say, man, Jeff, I don't know if I could do your job. You know what I want to say so many times to people? I haven't taken a beating for Christ yet like some of my brothers around the world. My job is not as hard as some people's calling. And it helps me to remember I haven't yet gone through that. What am I doing feeling sorry for myself? Jesus and many other believers have gone through that. Verse 5, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Now let me stop. He's about to quote Proverbs 3, 13 and 14. Now what's interesting to me about the writer of Hebrews, I don't know how many times you've noticed this, but as he helps them learn how to live the Christian life, Many times he's taken these Jewish Christians who are the original recipients of this letter and he's saying, do you remember the Bible? Do you remember what you learned when you were younger in the Bible? Or did you forget that part? He's not mocking, he's just saying, don't forget that stuff because it'll help you now. And so then he goes on and says, it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now here's what he's saying. Remember that if you really are one of God's children, he's not going to let you be a spoiled brat. He's not going to let you just live any old way because if you do, you will not be able to manage your life. You will not have the character you need. And every good parent, the Bible says, is that if a parent does not discipline their child, they hate their child. And now this all came home to me when I was in high school. Actually, junior high, I think. I was uh, hanging out with my friend Jay. And Jay, his parents... um, Sadly, we're alcoholics, and so the only time I ever met them was at the bar, 
if we went to try and find them. And so I remember one time uh, he was staying over at my house one night and my parents told us that I needed to be in at a certain time and I was grumbling under my breath about a curfew. It really bothered me. And Jay brought me up short that night and shocked me when he said, I wish my parents loved me enough to give me a curfew. What he was saying is, I wish my parents cared more about me. I wish my parents would be willing to invest and stand up to me rather than just let me do whatever I wanted because it's not as everything is cracked up to be. And what the Bible is saying here is that if you're willing to, you and I can look at every hardship that comes our way, not just as a hardship, but as training that God is permitting in our lives in order to make us bigger people. Now that's a lot to swallow, but in case you don't believe me, you can actually spend time meditating on verse seven sometime. Endure hardship as discipline, training. God is treating you as his children. And the question is, are we willing to be childlike enough to receive his training? Or are we gonna begrudge it or, or blow it off treat it lightly, become hateful and resentful towards him? Or are we going to say, this must be a sign that he is trusting me with something and he wants to help me grow up? Years ago, I showed something, and I want to show it again now. Some of you have seen the movie Facing the Giants. And there's a scene from that movie that really shows the power of someone learning training. Go ahead. Show me something, 10 yards, move it, move it, let's go, let's go, Matt, let's go, let's go, Jonathan, show me something, 10 yards, show me some power, no knees, keep your knees off the ground, show me something, there we go, 10 yards, show me some muscle, show me some power, give me some heart, let's go, very good, boy, very good, let's run it back. Oh, man, it's not even funny, dude. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. 50. I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. <laughs> Good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left, a little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. That's a good start. A little bit left, a little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. 
No. Don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. But I have strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength. But don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your best. Don't quit! No! Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't quit! Brock Kelly, you don't quit! Keep going! Keep going! No, Brock Kelly! You don't quit on me! No! You keep going! You keep going! No, Brock! Ten more steps! Ten more! Ten more! Ten more! Keep going! Don't quit! Give me your heart! You can! You can! Five more! Five more! Come on, Brock! Come on! Don't quit! Don't quit! Come on, Brock! Two more! One more! Oh. It's got to do 50. It's got to do 50. I'll have any more. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. You are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach? Can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? I want 160. Brock learned an important lesson that Jesus wants to teach us. 
And it may seem at times like Jesus is being cruel by what he permits or what he calls out of us, calls us to, what his expectations are. But in fact, they are for our good. They are loving. And they are powerful. It doesn't mean that the things that happen to us are good. But what the evil one means for evil, God means for good. And he can work that way. And so we've been talking about Jesus being supreme. So let me just hold up to you how Jesus is supreme in this verse before we wrap it up. This verse says is that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter or the author and finisher of our faith. So what's that mean? First, if you're following along, it means that he went first to prove it's possible for us to. He went first to prove it's possible for us to. Years ago, if you've ever studied it, it was considered to be impossible to break the four-minute mile. And then Roger Bannister did it. And when he did it, many, many other people followed because they now realized it was possible. If they could do it, maybe I can do it. And Jesus says this, I'm not going to ever call you to do something with me that I'm not willing to do first myself. I'll take a harder calling. It's not just the physical pain that he took on the cross. It was the weight of the spiritual pain that he took for your sins and mine. The willingness to be separated from his father for that terrible moment on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the father had to turn away from sin. Oh man, unbelievable. And Jesus says, now I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, follow me. I will make you a great person with me, but I'm asking you to trust me. I'm going to challenge you, but follow me. I'll go first. And the second thing that we see here is that he perfects our faith as we let trials train us. He perfects our faith. He completes it. He finishes it. He matures it. He strengthens it. He develops it as we let trials train us. Have you ever seen these verses? Philippians 1, 6. I love this verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what we can be confident of is that he doesn't start something without finishing it. He's working in your life and mine. Will we let him? Will we join him? Look at this in James 1, 2 through 4, mysterious verses for us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. In other words, just like Jesus, who for the joy set before him was willing to go through this incredibly agonizing process, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith Produces what, friends? So how do we get perseverance? By having it be tested. Having it being opposed. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. And so Jesus, what he can do in your life is like no other. He is supreme. He is the author, the pioneer. That means he blazed the trail. He says, I can do it in you. I can show you. Will you trust me? I can mature you. I can finish it. Will you trust me? And therefore, we come to this last sentence here. He can keep us faithful and true as we run all out with him. He can keep us faithful and true. Look at verse 12 and 13 as we finish reading this. 
The writer says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What he's saying is, it's decision time. Jesus is fully committed to doing his work in your life. But he will not, like a parent, will not do things for children, but do them with them. He will not decide to persevere for you or me. If we decide to quit, he'll honor that. But he's saying is this, therefore, strengthen what is weak. In other words, decide today, just today, that you will follow me and keep running the race. I don't have some of the stories you have, but I remember early on in my Christian life when my faith got tested in a powerful way. I know some of you say, you know, Jeff, you're a pastor. Um, you know, we live in the real world. I worked in the real world before I ever knew I was going to be a pastor. When I was in high school, I worked in a grocery store for about four years. And during that time, I started out as a bagger like most people do. And eventually, I worked in many different departments. But in my senior year, I worked in the produce department. I loved it. And uh, I remember just liking the job, liking the people I worked with. And one of the things we did in those days is that we wrapped all of our own cellophane packages with all kinds of berries and fruits and vegetables and things like that. So one day, it was during the day, and it was just me, it was a summer day, and it was just me, my manager, who was much older than me, and this 72-year-old man who was best friends with the owner of the grocery store and who had owned a very uh, elite kind of grocery store when he was young and had been in grocery business for 60 years, started when he was 12. He's standing next to me. And we did like we always did. He's just scooting those trays of berries over to me, and I'm wrapping them. And I noticed that he's brought a whole bunch of berries off the shelves from the store, and he's now unwrapped them, and he's gone into the cooler, and he's brought out a brand-new pallet of brand-new strawberries. And what he's doing is he's putting all these new strawberries on top of the old bad berries. And he's sliding my way. So about two-thirds of the berries aren't really good, but the top is impressive. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, uh, that's the problem. And I was thinking, I don't, I don't want any conflict here. But across the ticker, my mind kept scrolling this verse, a paraphrase of a verse I'd read in Proverbs. Dishonest weights and measures the Lord despises. Translated, he hates deceitful business practices. So I'm thinking about all this, keep wrapping berries, and my heart is beating out of my chest because I'm sensing the Lord saying, look, as humbly as you can, respectfully as you can, you need to say something. I'm just like a peon, you know, like, come on, Lord. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't stop. I knew it was him. I knew he was asking me to run with perseverance. So I said, uh, excuse me, I noticed that you're putting good berries on top of the bad berries. And I just got to tell you, I'm not sure I can keep wrapping these because if we put those out on the shelf and people buy these, they're going to feel lied to. They're going to feel deceived. And I think it's going to ruin their trust in us. And I'll never forget, he goes, what am I going to take to the bank? I said, well, I really don't know how to answer that question real well. 
Um, maybe you just put some bad berries next to the good berries so at least people know what they're buying. Uh, but I just think that in the long run, even if we gain now, we're going to lose later. And Oh man, by this time, my manager who had been wrapping some other stuff behind me, he turns around and now both of them are talking to me. I'm thinking, I am in hot water. And he turns around and says, yeah, they both knew I was a Christian. I didn't try and be loud about it, but they saw me reading my Bible at break. And so they said, yeah, well, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. I didn't want to tell them that was Benjamin Franklin and not the Bible. <laughs> I said, well, you know, honestly, I don't know what to do. All I know is that my parents taught me that if you honor God, he'll honor you. And I don't know how that'll work out, but I just think that this is going to dishonor God and break trust with the people that shop here. And I, I just had to say something. Dead silence. Very quiet. The next day, I was asked to come to the front office. And um, the son-in-law of the owners, who already um, had mocked me quite a bit for reading my Bible quietly in the corner during breaks, said, you are demoted immediately back to a bagger. And uh, I, had to, I was so shocked, I had to fight off tears. I said, can I ask why? And he said, I don't need to tell you. Report to the front. That was a moment of truth for me. I remember as I walked up there, though, that Jesus gave me the grace to understand that this was training time. That the way I react to this would be huge in my life. And I remember as I got up there and I started bagging groceries, I had this sense. Give your very best wherever I place you. And I remember saying to myself, get down, Jeff. Get down. Get low. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that in due time he may lift you up. And I remember that I actually had a song begin to fill my heart. I didn't sing it and hurt anybody's ears, but I, I, was, I remember thinking to myself, this is weird. Only Jesus could do this in my life. A few weeks later, I was called back into the front office again, and that son-in-law looked at me and said, please report back to the produce department immediately. I said, uh, anything happen? He says, no further questions. They're looking for you. I never understood why, and that turned out better than it could have, but I guess I want to tell you is this. You are going to have moments of truth too. I will. I don't know what's ahead for us. I don't know what's ahead for you. But here's the question I want to ask you as we close. If Jesus is supreme, and Brian already mentioned this at the beginning of the service, we said that he deserves our whole life, so here's the question. Will I faithfully run the race today? just today, that he's calling us to run. See, this is an us thing. Let us run. Not let me by myself, just me and Jesus, but let us run the race that Jesus has marked out for us. But it all boils down to the I in us has to be there too. I have to say, I can't decide for anybody else. And I know that at times I will stumble and fall. But persevering means getting up and continuing to do the same thing no matter how difficult it is. And so will I do that? Will I do that? 
So what is it for you today? Is there something he's saying, I want you to trust me and I want you to keep running with perseverance and it may cost you. Friends, I'm amazed at some of the things God permits. I'm amazed at some of the things that his followers are going through in the world right now. I don't understand it. The question is, they have to answer this question. Will I, will I continue to be faithful to run the race that he's called me to run? And I praise God for some of the other believers right now in other parts of the world that are doing that. And I want to be one of them. And I don't know what's ahead. I had a professor in college that once said, if God calls me to be a martyr, he knows how weak I am. I have to believe he'll give me martyr's grace in that hour. And I believe he will too. But here's why I want to close. Um, Some of you know the Boston Marathon just happened. And... uh, a man in our church named Mike ran it. He actually ran it pretty incredibly. I might add two hours and 50 minutes. And so um, he and I were interacting afterwards, and I just said, way to go. And he surprised me. He said, I just wanted you to know, I sang that song you taught at a men's retreat years ago while I was running. He says, I hope I didn't bother the other runners. But I was, I was singing that song. That's what came back to my mind as I was running. And I I couldn't believe it because that's been years ago since we sang that song. And so I thought the way we could close is by, I'll just sing this song for you. A friend taught me this in college and I've never forgotten it. It's just a simple melody. It's a prayer. It's a prayer for those that want to run with perseverance. And it's just simple. Let me sing it for you. And then I'll invite you to join me. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. There's a race that must be run. There's a victory to be won. Every hour by your power, keep me true. Would you try that with me? Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. There's a race that must be run. There's a victory to be won. Every hour by your power, keep me true. Let's try it a couple more times and make this our prayer. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. There's a race that must be run. There's a victory to be won. Every hour by your power, keep me true. One more time. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true. There's a race that must be run. There's a victory to be won. Every hour by your power, keep me true. Now, if it's okay, I'd like to pray for you. Some of you, he's asking you to get in the race. He's asking you to follow him. And maybe you have said, I don't want to do that. Maybe it's because you are counting the cost and you want to make sure 
that you mean business about following him. I respect that, but today may be the day that you trust him. And some of you, he's saying, continue in the race wherever you are, and I'll help you. I am the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. I will help you. I really will. I'm committed to you. I've made a covenant with you. Let me pray. Now, Lord Jesus, as we go from this place, I pray you'll help each one of us to know exactly where we are with you. I pray for those that aren't yet in the race, that haven't yet surrendered their lives to you and put their trust in you and received the covenant that you make with us when we respond to your invitation. And I pray that you'll help them know your invitation and challenge is a good thing. I also want to pray for those of us that are in the race. I ask you to forgive me for how sloppy my attitude gets sometimes, Lord, and how self-serving I still am as a runner in this race with you. But I pray that you'll help us, Lord, as a church to run with perseverance no matter what comes our way, that we'll do it together and we'll do it with our eyes fixed on you. In your name we pray. Amen. After the service, there's always people down front to be willing to pray with you for whatever reason. God bless you.